Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 6. We'll be finishing Luke 6 this morning. Um, we have been working through Luke now for um, the last couple months. We'll be here for a while. Um, remember, Luke is being written as an orderly account um, of the life of, of Jesus, really from the birth of John the Baptist through the first generation or so of the church in Acts. Um, and, and so we're seeing this being written um, to give um, assurance, right? It, it's being written to give um, an understanding of all that took place and to give assurance to us, um, as, as Luke is writing to Theophilus and then obviously to a larger audience. And we, we've been in the Sermon on the Plain where Jesus is teaching. We're really getting into some of the content of his teaching the last couple of weeks. And we could probably summarize it in that it's simple. Love your enemies. It's not easy. Love your enemies, right? Like that it, it's been not a difficult concept to grasp, but it's not easy um, to live out. And so we're going to continue in this sermon of Jesus, picking up in verse 36. So Luke 6:36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor, again, does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures, treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house, and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. It feels maybe like we have some kind of disjointed topics here. I think we'll see that we can draw these together. But as we begin in verse 37 and 38, we have maybe one of the most quoted, most used, and most misunderstood passages in Scripture, right? Judge not, and you will not be judged. It's one you will hear all the time um, in the news. You'll hear it in social media. You will hear this one quoted often, and it's usually kind of used as a mic drop, right? Like, don't judge me, and then I walk away, right? I just quoted Scripture. What are you going to do about it, right? Um, you can't tell me. Only God can judge me, right, is, is often added to it. What a terrifying thing to say. Only God can judge me. Hebrews 
to give some insight into that. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God does judge. He does. And so to, to throw out, you can't judge me, God will judge me, um, is not a flippant statement. It is a deep and powerful truth in this life that we will stand one day before God. Every one of us, right, this life will end and we will stand before Him. And we will be judged. And we'll either be judged with Jesus alongside us or we will be judged standing there with only our efforts and our meager attempts in this life, right, with our sin ever before us. And so, right, we, we take this verse, and it's one that gets thrown around so easily and so flippantly, and yet it, it is actually teaching a really significant and deep truth. But it's also miss, it's one that we walk away going, okay, they told me not to judge them. What am I supposed to do here? Jesus is not telling us that we're not able to make moral or ethical judgments or evaluations. That is clearly not what Jesus is teaching us here. How do we know that? Because Jesus with the Pharisees is constantly making ethical and moral evaluations, right, of their behavior, of their words, of their interactions. We see in Galatians that when, when Peter is steps out of line, that Paul, in, in Galatians 2, calls him on it. And says, well, wait a second. We've got to have a conversation here based on your, your sin. In Philippians 3-2, Paul will write and he'll say, hey, watch out and look out right, for those who want to put the law back on you. He's making a moral evaluation and telling the church right, in Philippi, you look out, right? Look out because you're going to have to make a moral judgment, a moral evaluation about these people. In 1 John 4-1, tells us to test, test every spirit to see, right, to make a judgment as to whether it's from God or from the world. Um, and then we have in John 7, verse 24, Jesus says this, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here we have him saying, there is a way to judge correctly. We don't judge just by outward, we judge by internal, right? Like we judge by what's going on. And so, what we, we know here is that Jesus is not saying that no judgment is ever allowed. Right? So we have to understand what is it that He's actually calling us to. What is it that we are supposed to do? And what He is talking to us about here, what He's teaching us, is He's saying the attitude and the intent in which we judge matters. It's what makes the difference. Because judgment, when we hear that word, we think condemnation. Right? We think um, harshness, we think difficulty. And so what he's saying is don't judge others in that when you look at them, you're holding them down and you're condemning them and you're not even encouraging them to go to God where they can receive mercy. You're saying that's who you are. And it's who you'll stay. It's who you'll stay. Like you're too far gone. And you're withholding mercy. Once you... And um, we saw in verse 36 that it says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Listen to Joel uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. 
Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts. It means tear your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Listen, mercy, what, let's define mercy, because it's one of those words we can throw around often and, and it just kind of becomes a church word. Mercy is when you receive compassion or kindness from someone who has the power and the right to inflict pain upon you, judgment upon you, punishment upon you. It's receiving kindness and mercy, right? It's, it's, it's keeping you from suffering. And so we we're reminded as we start this passage, be merciful, right? Because your Father in heaven has been merciful. We have not received the judgment, the pain, the suffering that we deserve from the one who was right in offering and giving it. He's given us mercy. He has withheld that from us, our judgment. And so he says, when, when you don't judge, when he says judge not, he's saying don't be a hypocrite in your judgment. Right? Don't hold someone down. Don't be so quick to condemn. Self-righteous. Keeping a tab and believing, right? Like you're, you're taking on God's role and saying that's who you are and it's who you'll stay. You're too far removed and too far gone. This is a practical way for us to actually love our enemies. Because if we remember that we've received grace and we've received mercy from one who did not have to offer it, when we were far from Him, now when we look at someone who is far from God or far from us, right? we can say, hey, that is sin. Oh, but there is mercy. There is grace and there is forgiveness offered. And let me tell you where I found it. Versus saying, it's who you are. And you deserve everything you'll get. He's saying the judgment, the intent, and the attitude behind it matters. Right? We maybe see this most clearly right now um, as we hear people talk politically. And whatever side you're on, whatever perspective you have, often what you will hear are, are, are judgments based on the other side with the belief that they can't change. That they can't see things different. That they, they will never agree with you. Right? And so, listen, those are not all biblical issues that are at play, but it's, it's looking at them and it's having that attitude of just, ah, ah, them. That's who they are, and it's not who I am. And it's bringing that into the spiritual. Like we weren't in need of mercy. That we weren't loved as the enemy of God ourselves. So Ephesians um, 4, verse 32, says this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Right? That we are reflecting the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of God to others who do not deserve it. Because we received what we did not deserve. We don't hold their sin or their current viewpoint or belief against them permanently. We're not overly harsh. And it doesn't mean that you can't call it sin. 
but it's the attitude behind it of in calling it sin, are you also calling them to taste and see that the Lord is good? And listen, he continues. So judge not, you won't be judged. Condemn not, you'll not be condemned. And then he talks about like the reward in verse 38. He says you're going to receive it in good measure. And the imagery he has here is says it's pressed down, it's shaken together, it's running over. You haven't received a little bit of mercy. You've received all the mercy you needed, an abundance of mercy. And the imagery is, is someone in the, the market and they're buying grain or corn or something, right? And they've got their, their basket there and the guy who's filling it, every time he puts a little in, he's shaking it and he's twisting it and he's rotating it making sure it's settling. And then he's pouring more in and he's adding more and he's pressing it down. And he's adding more, making sure there's no air pockets. We're getting every kernel, every grain, every bit that you could get, and it is to the top. You could not fit any more in, and then it's just overflowing. That is the mercy of God in our life. You've got it all. Because you have access to Jesus. That we would then image and reflect our good Father to the world. As those who are loving our enemies, who are offering forgiveness and grace and mercy to those who do not deserve it. They don't have to earn it from us because we didn't earn it from God. He is calling us to a different account, to a different standard, to a different way of living, to a different community that should be distinct and different in the world. And so he continues here by giving them a parable. Look at verse 39. This kind of proverbial parable. He tells them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? He's talking about who are you going to follow? Who's going to be your your spiritual, your religious leader here? And he's like, the Pharisees, he'll say later, examined the Scriptures looking for me and missed me. He's like, if you take someone, the wrong leader, the wrong spiritual person, that's focused on the wrong thing, they're going to lead you. You're just both going to fall into a hole. It's going to be for your destruction. Remember, he's talking not just to the apostles here, but to a larger audience. It's like, who you follow matters. Listen, this is like um, a junior high kid giving you relationship advice. Right? This is a seventh grade girl saying, I've been in a relationship for 11 days. I don't know anyone who's been in a longer one. Let me tell you how you should love. Right? And you're just kind of looking at them going, ah, no thank you, you know? No thank you? Or it's a 7th grader telling a 6th grader, here's how you're going to do this, right? And you're just like, man, that is like a fool talking to a fool. And I've got a junior high kid, right, who's probably looking at me intently right now, right? But, um, right, it, we, we would look at that and say, that's foolishness leading foolishness. There's things to learn, and there are things to learn about relationships, but who you learn it from matters. Jesus is looking at his audience and saying, who you follow, it matters. Why? Why? Verse 40, because the disciple is not above his teacher. And everyone when fully trained will be like his teacher. He's like, you, it, who you follow, it matters because you become like them. You look like them, you talk like them, you act like them. And so the warning here isn't just to follow, not to follow a bad spiritual leader. He's also saying, don't follow yourself. Right? This whole idea in our culture of follow your intuition, follow your gut, follow your heart, those things will lie to you and they'll lead you into the pit as well. The, the, the heart is sick. 
And it's wicked, and it will lie to you. It's not following after Jesus, right, on its own. We need a new heart. And so he's saying, listen, it's not just that we don't choose a leader to follow. If you think, well, I'll just follow me, you're also going to end up in the pit. You're going to become like your leader, the one that you follow. And so he gives them some insight. Go down to verse 43. He starts to talk about fruit. So he says, I want you to examine the one you're following, and I want you to examine yourself. Listen, we have to hear this. It's an examination of others and of ourselves for fruit. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. He's saying, listen, you, you go out and you've got an apple tree. You don't go out going, I hope it's oranges this morning. Right? Like, your wishes don't just make it something else. It produces apples because it is an apple tree. What he's telling us is it's from the inside out. That if we are marked by Jesus, if we have a new heart that is His, then we are connected to the vine, John 15, where we abide in Him, right? And He flows out of us and we begin to see Christ-like reflection and imagery and character in our own life because it is produced naturally because that's who we now are. And if we are not connected to Jesus, then we can, we can fake it for a little while. We can pretend for a little while. We can mimic for a little while. But eventually, the truth will come out in our fruit as to who we actually are and who we are actually following and who it is that we actually look like. See, Jesus has gone, hey, it's more than just don't murder. It's don't hate. If you hate someone, you're murdering them in your heart. It's not just don't commit adultery. It's don't lust, right? Because you're committing adultery in your heart. He is taking it from not just the outside, the exterior, the external, but to the heart. And says that is flowing then out of us and into who we are. It's revealing something. And so he's telling his audience, one, look at yourself. What fruit is being produced? You can ask the question based on what my life looks like. Do I look like Jesus or not? but also the one that I'm following. Do they look like Jesus? We look at Jesus, right? And we see that His inside and His teaching and His outside, they match. There's a total transformation. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 36. This promise that, that God gives to His people, beginning in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What we see here is our need is not to try hard and do better. To try a new religious thing, to do a new thing he says, you need a new heart. And we need a cold and stony one removed. And we need the heart of Jesus placed within us. It's why 2 Corinthians 5 will tell us, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's not just, it's a, it's a new and improved Jeremy. Right? Still banged up, still got some, like, it's new and improved. It's no, it's, that old is gone. The new is coming. It's why the beauty of baptism Right? That as we are standing there, we're saying, this was me in desperate need. In desperate need. Falling myself, falling other things, of enemy of God in need of mercy. And then Jesus, 
buries me. And as I'm raised, it's no longer me. Me in Christ. New heart, new life, new creation. I'm in Him. And the water is right, that symbol of Him covering us, that we now are His. That act doesn't save you. It doesn't change you. It's, the, it's what Jesus does in our hearts. That we become like the one that we follow, and we need a total transformation. And so he says, all right, listen, blindly in the blind, that doesn't go well. You become like your, your teacher, so examine yourself, right? Examine those who you might follow. And then he goes back to some humor. Look at verse 41. So why do you see a speck that's in your brother's eye? I'm talking about like just like some sawdust, right? Something minuscule. Uh, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. And so he's creating like this hyperbolic picture going, hey, you can, note, like, you can see what's going on in their eye when you got this like clank coming out of your eye. He wants it to be this huge contrast. Like, hey, let me check that out for you. Right? He's like, brother, do you not see what's in your face? What it's important for us to note here is that he doesn't say that the, the noticing of the speck in someone's eye is wrong that we should never do that. Look back at um, verse 42. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. There may be a time where you need to help your brother or your sister see a speck. It's good judgment. But not if we are using um, our judgment to cover up our own short our own misunderstandings, our own sin. It's hypocrisy. Right? So, again, let's go back to politics for a second. We can rant and rave about how mean the other side is by being mean. Right? Hypocrisy. Or maybe one that's closer to home. We tell our kids, hey, you can't talk like that. You can't use harshness. With, with other people by using harsh language. And I, right, like I've been guilty of that this week. I'm like, what are you, like, you know, getting on to one of my kids for the way they're talking to someone else and then going, oh, but I wouldn't want you to talk like I'm talking to you right now. Right? Like I'm seeing this speck in something that legitimately needs correction and ignoring the fact that I'm doing the same thing. It's hypocrisy. He says, I want you to examine the fruit, because otherwise this is what might happen, that you're walking around with a two-by-four, noticing everyone else's issues. Check your own fruit, so that when you judge, it's with right intent, and it's with a desire for mercy, that you're not covering up your, um, your sin with religious behavior, keeping the heat on others so that people won't notice you. And so ultimately, here's where this begins to get pulled together. So who are, who are you going to follow? Right. The question here then is, Jesus is saying, is, are you going to follow me? Because there's some other options. There's yourself, there's, there's, there's other teachers. Right. Are you going to follow me or not? Look at verse 46. So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he's like. So he says, listen, there's two groups here. There will be those who will say, Lord, Lord, we love Jesus. 
And then there'll be no fruit that looks like Jesus. There'll be no action that shows that they're following Jesus. But they will say the right thing. And they'll probably notice the specks in your eye. And there will be others who will come, and He says they're going to look different because they're going to say, Lord. Right? But they're going to, they're also going to come, verse 47, they're going to hear My words, and they're going to do them. He's showing there's two distinct things. Listen, we live in, in a place where lots of people say, Lord, Lord. And there's not necessarily always a lot of fruit to back that up. And the fruit is not what saves us. It is not, listen, it is not our religious behavior and activity that saves us. But it is indicative that we have been saved. That we belong to King Jesus. That He has given us a new heart and He is producing that in us. And there's no stopwatch on that. Right? That's why He's cautioning us here. Right? Are you pointing people to mercy? Are you pointing them to grace? Are you pointing them back to Jesus? Are you being kind with them? Not harsh. Not belittling. He said, there are going to be some of you who are going to say the right things and it's not going to look like me. And he's like, this is beyond lip service. This isn't, this isn't just say the right things. He says, I want your heart and your actions to line up. And he's saying, some of you, your words and your actions aren't going to line up. And I'm saying that's not sufficient. I want you to come to me. I want you to hear and I want you to do. And then he describes with this beautiful imagery. The one who does these things is like the one who builds a house. He digs deep and he lays a foundation and then he builds his home. Right? That he's done the work and now he's got this home. And he says, the one who says, Lord, Lord, he goes and builds a house too. And from the outside, Lord, 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 Lord. The houses look the same. They appear the same. They claim the same. And then the storm comes. The circumstances of this broken world rain down upon us. And one house is gone. It's gone. We've seen imagery of that out of Yellowstone this week, right? Like houses, river goes, house goes. And the other house is standing. Now listen, it's important that we note here that for the one who has the foundation, the one who's trusted Jesus, they are not... Um, immune from the circumstances and the storms of life. It is important that we note that, that we don't somehow get to avoid them. But the house stands because it's rooted. It's deep. And the, what made the difference? You can't actually see because it was, it was in. So he's saying, listen, examine your heart. Is your heart pointing you to Jesus? Is it longing for the things of Jesus? And are those things being produced in you? Or do you just know the right words to say to make people think so? So we have it matters how we judge. It matters who we follow. We examine the fruit of our life. And in the midst of all this, I hope what we're seeing is that Jesus is beautiful. Right, even as we're hearing these hard teachings that are simple to understand but, but not necessarily easy to live out, would we walk away this morning going, it is the kindness of the Lord that has led us to repentance. That I was an enemy of God in desperate need of mercy and I have received it. And I want to be like Him. I want to forgive my enemies. 
I want to show mercy. And even right when we bring judgment, it is pointing to going, oh, there is a better way. There is a better way. There is mercy available to you. We're not condemning. Because Jesus took our judgment. Right? We started this with, by saying right from Hebrews 10 that you will stand before God. You will. But for those of you in Christ, you will stand before God in judgment covered in Christ. Right? Saying they, they get my perfection, my innocence, my obedience, my faithfulness. They get that. They've made the exchange and they have a new heart. Right? And we are brought in as sons and daughters with a seat at the table because of what King Jesus has done, not based on our own merit. Right? He has taken the judgment so that we don't have to and has given us mercy in exchange. And not only that, He's given us a new heart and He empowers us with His Holy Spirit and with His people. Right? That there are brothers and sisters further along from us that are, all right, we can just go this, take this back for 2,000 years, right? That we are connected all the way back to Christ because it's continued to be passed on. Right? That we have folks who are leading us, saints who are leading us ahead that we can follow, pointing us to Jesus as we examine the fruit of that. But He's given us a new heart. He's empowered us with His Holy Spirit, with His church, and with His Word. So it means He's given us some stable ground to stand on in this world, even as the storms and circumstances rage against us. The King Jesus says, no, you're standing not based on your strength or your might or your merit, but on mine. And that He has taken us back to the Father. That's what He's telling them. He's like, I'm not the blind leading the blind here. I'm taking you back where you belong. So this morning, listen, it's not judgment and it's not condemnation. Examine yourself. That is a, a, the right calling for a believer to do. It's the right thing to do. And if you find yourself wanting, if you find yourself going, oh, I have potentially said Lord, Lord a lot, and I don't know Jesus, and I don't feel very rescued right now, mercy is available. It's yours. And you get it all heaped up, right? Overflowing. Because Jesus has done what you cannot do. If you are walking in your own strength, in your own might this morning, that you would lay it down and say, I am connected to the vine. I want to produce what Jesus produces. Jesus, would you do that in me? And you would see Him as gracious and merciful and beautiful this morning. That we would rejoice and sing to our kind King. And that we would receive the mercy that's been offered. And then we would be men and women who would reflect it to the world around us so that they can know King Jesus as well. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it feels like saying thank you for your mercy is insufficient. So Lord, even in this moment, would you give us um, a reminder, a glimpse, a taste, of the significance of what You've rescued us from. God, not to overwhelm us. God, but to be reminded that we were Your enemy and we needed You. That You met us in that. 
God, we want to look like You. We want to act like You. We want to produce fruit that is evidence of You to a world that needs it. And so, Lord, would we be forgivers? Would we be gracious in our judgment? Because we're pointing to hope in a better way, to mercy. God, would You reveal to us areas of our hearts, our minds, our lives, our actions, our online interactions, Lord, that are currently hypocritical. That we would confess it knowing that there is mercy and forgiveness in You. And would we receive that and then be able to pass it on? God, would we see You as beautiful this morning? Is all that we need. God, we say collectively thank You that You took a judgment that we could not have withstood. Thank You. Lord, we need You. Would You speak? Would You move? Would You work among us now? In Jesus' name, Amen.